Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. You know how great your house looks and smells when it's just been cleaned? So fresh. And somehow, a clean house makes your head feel fresher too. With a housekeeper from Care, you can reset your house and your head as often as you like for less than you think. Find a great housekeeper, set a schedule that works for you, and check cleaning off your to-do list so you can put your mind to other, more fun things. Get the housekeeping help you need at care.com. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom, kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to oh, an man. end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the US Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom. And this week we're welcoming in a new guest. And his name is uh, Leland uh, Rybling. And I have a little bit of a biography about him. Uh, I'm going to try and hit the high points because it's, it's uh, pretty long, but he's a descendant of a Ukrainian mystic. Uh, his family lives in Canada. Uh, now he had regular contact with something called the Canadian Anubis Amulet, and he's been studying um, what you would call probably a lot of paranormal things for years and years and years. Uh, this varies from ancient history and pyramids to aliens and UFOs. Uh, he became an expert in some of the ancient Maya uh, ball games. 
uh, a bunch of things that seems like they could be show topics in and of themselves. Um, but by his early 30s, he was traveling in Canada, uh, researching uh, any, call it, any sort of ancient mysteries and light beings. Uh, he encountered abandoned military bases, uh, played by UFO sightings. He met crews uh, and people who had Bigfoot encounters. He discovered Mount Cheminis, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, uh, offering a table used by Noah and his family, the Phoenicians, uh, and he uh, and found some of the lost history of the people of Magog, so I'm sure people have heard of Magog and Gog. Um, other things involving King Solomon and just, just a, a whole bunch of things, uh, but what caught my attention for this show was that he also uh, had, he wrote a, I'll call it an article or a piece on giants of South America. That's something I haven't seen a whole lot on. We had Mark Ali touch on the Paracas people and the elongated skulls. I don't know if that's related or not. Um, but Leland, first of all, thank you for coming on the show uh, and welcome. Oh, thanks a lot, Jeff. We really appreciate it. That was an awesome introduction. <laughs> okay. Any, any corrections or additions that you want to, uh, you know, f repair your re your reputation now? No, it looks good. <laughs> okay. Well, I know everyone pronounces things a little bit differently, so don't feel bad. I pronounce my own name wrong half the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you pronounce it in case I need to use it again? Um, it's actually... My grandma was telling me the way it's supposed to be pronounced. It's supposed to be Leyland, sort of like ley lines. Uh -huh. The the old English term for uh, yeah ley lines or meadow valleys. But most of my family just calls me Leyland, and I also go by Judson also. And Judson's just my middle name. So if you come across Leyland Judson, it's the same person. Yep, I did. <laughs> okay, very good. All right. Well, uh, I will then call you Leyland because I like the idea of the ley lines. I think that sounds uh, fun and cool and appropriate. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about your, yourself, your background, your education, and then what brought you to South America um, and what did you find there? Well, actually, I probably should correct a few things. Yeah, the, the place that I was visiting recently is actually near the Great Lakes. So that would be more in Canada rather than South American giants. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, it's easy to get it mixed up because I know that most of the places you hear about giants is definitely South America, like Patagonia or the Big Feet area. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and what was the other part of that question? Sorry? Uh, just if you wanted to give anything part of your you know, education and then, you know, sort of oh, yeah. how you started your journey. Yeah. yeah, how my journey began, actually. I'm a very non-traditional researcher. So how it began was like, I think it was around about 10 years old that I was uh, hanging out with my friends, getting into trouble outside. We were actually sneaking out of our house after our parents had gone to bed. And we ended up having a wild encounter with uh, light beings. Some people like to call them the Amesha Spenta, or I think the First Nations people also call them the Thunder Beings. And it kind of changed my outlook in life from that day forward. Started to research as much material on ancient mysteries as I could to try to solve what these light beings were all about. And that's pretty much my background, how I got into it. So I have actually worked a little bit with academics, but I definitely don't have an academic background, <laughs> I wish. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about these light beings. Are, I mean, I know that you said what some people refer to them as. Do, do some people, are they what might be called the fey folk as well in, in other cultures? Yeah. Yeah, I've wondered that too when you hear the, the story.
stories from what is it Europe about the the fairy people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people will obviously argue that they're all different things, but I think a lot of it interconnects to each other. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you know, different different names for the same thing on different you know parts of the world, or, or even from tribe to tribe, clan to clan. You know. Yeah, exactly. Mountain range to mountain range. Um, you know, I, I often wonder if the, the, the fae folk and the, you know, the, the djinn or the djinn are, are the same and, you know, sort of will of the wisps and, you know, uh, you know, sort of a lot of these things. And, and to an extent, uh, you know, a lot of UFO experiences involve sort of, you know, creatures that, uh, are in light and descriptions of angels and, and sort of spiritual guides, you know, Toth the Atlantean and whatnot. I mean, you know, all of it, you know, is often sort of accompanied with what you might call light beings. Yeah, exactly. No, and I should uh, emphasize too, most of my research in my early life was just like books, libraries, TV shows, coast to coast AM, yeah. different radio shows. But then when I got to about the age, I think it was around 32, that I realized that I was starting to get like a, a bad depression going and I had to get out of my house more. And one of the TV shows I've been watching was Scott Walters, America on Earth. I don't know if you've heard of that show. Mm-hmm. So I ended up thinking, like, following his example, that you could travel in different regions of the world. It doesn't even have to be Egypt or even South America, and you can find clues to these type of mysteries. So I figured, hey, since I'm in Canada, why don't I start looking up north in Canada? Because it's actually a pretty sparse populated area, and not many people are checking those spots. So just being geographically closer to it, I figured, hey, let's start doing that. And that's when I really started to stumble across some of the First Nations people's history. And boy, was my mind ever blown. I've even actually got into contact with the producers from America and Earth. And they're considering doing some episodes about Canada and the different areas there. But they haven't generated enough interest yet. It's kind of made it on, down on the list on the totem pole of where they're going to make the next episodes. So if anyone does happen to like this show and topic, just make sure you contact America on Earth and let them know that they should do an episode there sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I mean, you think that they would always want contact. It's funny if you, I don't know if you said totem pole purposely or not, but that's a that's a very sort of North North America kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's interesting that the totem traditions are usually Canada's West Coast, but I think unofficially there is a little bit of it happening on the East Coast and the different legends. Sort of like uh, building giant cedar poles and aligning it to the equinoxes and solstice points. So, yeah, I don't think it's completely exclusive to the West, but for the official version, I think it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up, we thought totem poles were everywhere, but uh, and yeah, I didn't realize it was sort of like a almost like a ranking system that the animal or whatever's on the top, usually an animal, is is sort of like the apex. You know, like the orca, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, and, you know, maybe in the bottom, it starts with like a, a beaver or something that's important, but, you know, not, you know, and then it builds up to the wolf or whatever. But, um, all right, so I sort of botched the entrance a little bit. So why don't you tell me what you know about giants in South America, and then we'll work our way up to the Great Lakes area in Canada and, and what you actually personally ex- uh, explored and experienced. But I want to get some of this, this South American background because i'm not sure i've ever really actually covered south america we both know heather arnold and, and she talked about yeah. the giants of the islands you know she does a lot of work on aruba and bonaire um yeah the Caicos region yeah yeah and we've definitely talked about it and mark carpenter was on the show and, and he definitely talked about some of the americas but i'm not sure that we ever spent too much time 
focusing on. So I know that you're familiar with with that, and you wrote or shared shared an article on. So if you could just give a summation on on your knowledge of that, uh, sure. and, and then we'll move into your personal experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to say his name wrong, but uh, Brian Forrester or Foster. I think uh, I watched his YouTube videos a lot, and he covers the topics of the elongated skulls. Mm-hmm. And when I got up north to Canada and was looking at the shape of Giant Tomb Island, they mentioned that it looked like the giant, and some people were debating that it was actually the body of the giant. But man, when I put it next to some of the elongated skull pictures, it looks like the giant's island tomb is much more similar to the shape of an elongated skull. So I think that's one of the connections there. Oh, and the other connection too is uh, a lot of the giant stories and legends tend to be in areas with like a lot of tectonic activity, like the the islands that Heather was uh, researching and sharing information. They get hit by earthquakes all the time. And some of my research started to stumble upon that these giants are always, or not always, but a good chunk of the time are close to different areas that get a lot of earthquakes, either volcanic activity. And I think there is a connection there, something to do with the energy of the planet itself and the, why the giants are where they are. This is maybe off topic a little bit, but are, did you hear anything about the, uh, basically they unearthed like a thousand bodies in Iran with elongated skulls as well? Yeah, I've heard about that as well. Uh, or the, what is it, the Ubaid people that are, what is it, near the Caspian Sea? And then it's wild too that they find that the elongated skull DNA that they find in South America actually matches some of the Ube region or Caspian Sea region also. So there seems to be that cross-cultural connection over the ocean before Columbus. <laughs> right. So, you know, I know that the conventional wisdom is that the elongated skulls was skull manipulation, uh, you know, to, to sort of, a, you know, show a status or a priest class. I mean, uh, but... You know, and I've had people on here, uh, Mark Ali and others, talking about skulls found in other parts of the world where you could tell that they were manipulated. And, you know, I just have to rely on their expertise with that. But, you know, no one can answer the question is even if all of these skulls were manipulated, why? What what gave people the idea, the, the idea that to flatten and elongate the skulls of their babies uh, was while they were while the skulls were soft was somehow a, an honorific to the gods like, what were they modeling that upon? So, you know, it, it, you know, there's always a question behind, uh, you know, an answer, you, you know. But uh, again, I, I think the science has established, and I think it's making its way into the mainstream science, that, that mm-hmm. you can tell the difference between the elongated skulls and ones that were manipulated to look that way. And, you know, and, and, it's, and I believe they can also tell the ones that were deformities like uh, encephalitis versus ones that weren't and the ones that weren't seem to be outnumbering significantly the ones that were but anyway i, I digress yeah. a little bit but are there are there are you referring to sort of like the uh, are you familiar with the paracas man skulls in in i think it's now peru but you know then it was just plain old well whatever the, the people there called it but <laughs> you know in south yeah. america yeah, I've basically followed every legend I can find about giants, everything from Gilgamesh to South America to the Holy Land, uh, even the controversial stuff about how David and Goliath. <laughs> so yeah, I've definitely seen some connections between all of them, and I think it really dates back to a form of flattery, right? Like they say that humankind in general, the highest form of flattery is to imitate something. 
So I think if they really did have gods or giants that they've seen in the past, they would have kept imitating them for as long as they could. Yeah, and the shape of the skull is, you know, that, you know, just because someone's a giant doesn't mean that you would have a bigger skull. I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's, it's not that, that's not that natural thing when you're a kid and you, you know, read Jack and the Beanstalk or whatever, the giant doesn't have a, you know, a, a, like a cone head or, or, or head like the, you know, the xenomorph from Alien. Um, so it, it's, it's just very interesting how this, you know, sort of crosses over continents and parts of the world and you get sort of that same sort of tradition. Um, but uh, what, what are some of the legends of giants in South America that you're aware of? Um, I guess we go with the, the name of like Patagonia, the big feet. So I've definitely heard about that one. Um, the other giant legends I've heard, I guess the cannibalistic giants, but those would be more from, uh, was it the Sikatek people in South America, that tribe, they were burned to death in Lovelock cave. Definitely heard about that story. And then even the Wild Museum, too, how apparently the museum used to keep the, the records and the bodies of the giants. And now the only thing left, everything was stolen. The only thing they have is the building to prove that there was actually a real museum at one point. <laughs> Where was that? Seacatech uh, Tribe. I think that would be in the Ohio region or south of Ohio. Pretty okay. sure. So I, I think... It was like a redhead cannibalistic giants is the legend from that one. Yeah, a lot, a lot of red hair associated with, with giants, uh, you know, also in some of the islands. But in, in this case, I'm talking about like Easter Island and some of the uh, South Pacific islands, as well as South America. I'm not, I'm not sure if the redhead is also in sort of the Caribbean and uh, off of South America's coast islands. I think so, though. And, uh, and I think also um, in North America, too. But those those may have been the giants that migrated up that you were just referring to in, uh, they got killed in, was it Lovelock Cave? Yeah, if you type Lovelock Cave, there's quite a few stories about it online. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what the deal is with the red hair, but, uh, yeah, you know, I guess that's just a dominant trait. Um, yeah, even in the Bible, it was kind of interesting how, what is it, David and Goliath, often they portrayed Goliath as someone like Arabic in features with darker hair. But then when you trace, like, where Goliath's people are supposedly from, he was part of the groups that were singled out to get annihilated because they were doing the cannibalism and stuff. And they listed a whole bunch of red haired people. So I wonder too, if maybe Goliath would have had red hair rather than dark. <laughs> well, it's possible because the original Philistines, I believe the name came from Pelostats, which was Greek. Um, uh -huh. So, I, you know, I'm not sure that Greece has a, a bevy of red headed people, but uh you know, yeah, you know. Well, that's like popular in Bulgaria. When I talk to people there, they're very upset about hearing history of red-haired people, even though if you look into like the Thracians, a lot of their graves were marked with red-haired depictions. So it is controversial to say there was red-haired people in like the Holy Land or even Europe at that time, but or Northern. So yeah, it's yeah. a little bit controversial, but I think there's something to it for sure. Well, that whole you from Greece you know, uh, around the Dalmatian coast and all that and down into the, you know, upper Holy Land, you know, so Syria and, and Azerbaijan and Armenia and Turkey. It's it's sort of disputed territory as to, you know, the, the Greeks feel that all of Thrace was Greek and Anatolia was Greek. And in fact, there, there were tons of Greek settlements there. And, yeah. and, you know, Bulgarians and Armenians definitely feel like they're not Greek at all. And Turks, yeah. definitely not. And people are still fighting over Cyprus. 
But, you know, whatever, whatever people think now, there was obviously a lot of cultural and human genetic exchange. So if let's just say the redheadedness comes from Thrace, uh, but some of those folks made their way to Greece or considered Greek by the locals when they arrived on ships, what's really the difference? So it could have been imported. And I think also the Phoenicians were, are associated with the, you know, some of these sea peoples, which were, let's just call them from the Greek diaspora, just to, you know, save yeah. time and not cause too much trouble. Um, and, and maybe that's where some of the redheaded is. But I mean, a, a lot of people there are, are redheaded now. I mean, the, the Khazars, which are a little bit further east, are, are redheaded. A lot of Syrians are redheaded. I mean, red hair and, and yeah. light eyes is, is, not, is not an unusual trait composition in, in that part of the world. Yeah. Well, even the, the tallest Roman emperor in history, the Gladius Maximus, or whatever his name, he was actually traced back to Thracian lineage, too. He worked his way up the ranks in the Roman Empire just because of his size, but he actually wasn't Roman by descent. <laughs> wow. Okay. That well, I did not know that. But <laughs> but yeah, you could you could go crazy trying to track down where where all these parts of the world are, because it turns out half of them are based on cities that just got bigger, and then other cities that that that, that you know put back the aggression, and then they got bigger, and, and then someone else came in. And so you have these cultures like, you know, the Parthians, which, you know, or, you know, it's, we don't think twice about Athenians or Romans when we say that the Roman Empire doesn't, doesn't confuse us all. And that's probably because of our, you know, our, our education is, you know, Western European and, you know, centric. Anyway, so, all right, so that, that's South America and a little sidetrack into uh, uh, Anatolia and the Holy Land. So let's talk now about the, the Great Lakes and Canada and your actual personal lived experience. Yeah, so what happened was is I started to explore up north, and then I had a podcast guest that was coming on to talk about some of the shows that I did on that. And he was mentioning to me that the First Nation history actually has a lot to do with the giant stories, but it doesn't get out into the, the textbooks as much as, like, say, how to build canoes or something. So... A lot of that history just was basically lost. Oh, and another tradition they had, too, was First Nations people used to exchange information as a form of currency. So there was a lot of incentive not to share everything because, or you're just giving away all your money sort of thing, right? So when I started to go up north, yeah, I found uh, one of the first sites that I visited was that Mount Keminus that we just discussed. And it's one of the oldest, actually, university professor calls it the Canadian Stonehenge. And it's large blocks that were aligned to the equinox, and it's approximately 10,000 years old. So I was thinking, that's kind of wild that most people say that ancient sites are so old if they're about 6,000 years or so. But the First Nations people, I believe, probably had a history of giants just as old as any other culture, if it's actually going back 10,000 years. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that there was a Salem Stonehenge, and but I did know that there was a Stonehenge-like structure at the bottom of Lake Michigan, um, which obviously wasn't at the bottom of a lake at the time. Uh, you know, the, the, the water changed, but that indicates that it might have been pre-glacial, um, which exactly. which I guess would put it, you know, before 13,000 years ago. Uh, so, you know, somewhere a long time ago. A long, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, well, some of the First Nations history has actually been confirmed by recent discoveries because... They had a legend saying that there was a, a land bridge that used to connect a lot of the islands in the Great Lakes, sort of implying before the Ice Age. And that was like a big laughing stock topic 
everyone said that it was just legends. But then as science evolved, we started to examine those, the bottom of the Great Lakes, and we found the bridges connecting the islands, just as the natives have described. They're just under the water. Yeah, I, and I know that the, the First Nations people, just like a lot of ancient peoples, relied on oral history. Uh, writing yeah. either wasn't used, period, or was reserved for you know the priest class or the royal class or, or whatever it was. Um, and you know that was uh, guarded. So you know that's why people use poems and, and songs to to remember things because uh, apparently it's easier to remember those things than you know memorizing history. And it's, yeah, uh, and when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, so uh, where uh, where was or is Mount Keminus? Uh, Mount Keminus is actually, if you take the, the St. Lawrence River into the Great Lakes, eventually you can get to the, the Ottawa River. And if you take the Ottawa River as far north as you can possibly go, it's about 600 kilometers north of Toronto, then that's where the Mount Keminus is. And it just so happens to be the, what is it, second best ranked gold mines in the entire world. So that's where a lot of people, even, I shouldn't say a lot of people, there's a few like sort of fringe researchers that you'll meet up north that talk about how they believe that the trade of gold had been moving gold back and forth to that region well before like anything were established as in the history books, even possibly pre-Ice Age and then might have continued right after the Ice Age had melted. I hesitate to say this. Obviously, I'm hesitating right now. But whenever you hear about gold and you hear about giants and you hear about yeah. old, you, you think about the Anunnaki. And the Anunnaki exactly. is just a word, you know, in Sumerian. It, it, you know, it, again, it could be the same kind of people being everywhere. I, I, and I'm not unique in this by any means. I feel like the Anunnaki and the Watchers and a lot of the ancient gods are sort of the same people, uh, are the same characters, the same beings. Uh, and... You know, I've since learned that there's Anunnaki legends in Eastern Europe. There's Anunnaki in Africa, uh, including South, as far as South Africa was current day South Africa. Um, and I'm wondering if these giants had an association with gold. In North yeah, America. I believe so. Because especially when you think of the name Anunnaki, I don't know how it translates exactly, but something like those from the heavens that descended to the earth. And then if you check the, the military records about all the different abandoned bases that were built around the gold mines during the Cold War with Russia, they actually, on the books, had official records of UFO encounters that were never explained. So it almost seems like the UFOs have been monitoring this gold site for eons, maybe even back all the way back to giants. Who knows if the giants are the ones in the UFOs. <laughs> Well, yeah, right. I mean, and, and, you know, what's a giant? You know, maybe they can make themselves look bigger or what piece of technology. But I think that, I mean, Anu is actually, you know, the king of the gods or the head of the Anunnaki. I think, I think Aki oh. might have been his consort, his wife. So I think Anu was actually the, the king of the heavens. And I think Aki was sort of the, the earth and the water. So it is, so moving heaven and earth sort of, that, yeah. that, that makes perfect sense. I did hear another legend that, that there's a, a very similar word in Hopi or Anasazi that, that means ant people. Um, uh, you know, I don't know if there's a connection or not, or it's just words that sound the same. Because obviously neither one of these cultures were using, you know, Latin letters or, or English yeah, exactly. letters. So, you know. It's for, modern language. 
research. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so after I found that the stuff up north related to giants, I started vlogging and travel vlogging as many sites as I could around. And I started to work my way all the way down to the Great Lakes. And then I was surprised that, yeah, even along the shores of the Great Lakes, if that gold trade was really run by giants, wouldn't there be statues and legends of giants there? And lo and behold, that's when I found out about this place that I did my latest video and that you read the article about, is there's literally a giant statue with a whole history of giants right on the shore. So I was like, holy cow, here's more history of giants and very few people are talking about it yet. Is this, uh, is this Ontario? Is this Quebec? Which, which modern-day province would this be? Uh, Mount Keminis is actually one of the disputed territories on the border between Quebec and Ontario. So some years it's Quebec, other years it's Ontario, depending <laughs> how far they moved the border that day. And then uh, when it comes to this giant and on the shores of the Great Lakes, that's actually in Ontario. Okay. So a little bit more further east. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. West. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, for we are, it's East Central Canada, you know, yeah. from, from at least my vantage point, which is East Coast U.S. Um, oh, yeah. You know, East and West is, is one of those funny terms as well. You, you, we still call the Middle East the Middle East. Where, I mean, from where? For according to who? But uh, yeah, it's all a matter of perspective. Right. Did you uh, take any of your? Did you go up to follow the gold, like up to Yellowknife, up that way, where the all the you know the Yukon and all the gold was, or was that too, was that uh, a bridge too far? Um, not yet. Actually, when I was sharing my research about this topics at different conventions. I met some uh, really attractive woman from the Northwest Territories who was asking me to come up and share some more of her history in that area because she believes that it's being completely ignored. And I was like really into doing that. And then we had the, the lockdowns and everything that happened in the world. So I haven't gone there yet, but I'm definitely expanding there. <laughs> ParanormalDating.com. Trademark ending. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually sharing it at a fan expo convention because I feel there's a lot of young people that are into fan topics of all kinds. Sure. And a lot of people thought it was weird to share like paranormal mysteries and ancient mystery stuff. But actually, even that's where I started to meet people from Iran. I even got to meet a guy who was uh, part of the royal family of, uh, what is it, the Persian Empire. So he came and dropped by my booth and said, hey, you should come to Iran sometime and see some of the stuff we got there that no one covers. So going to different types of conventions, yeah, I meet some wild people that share incredible stories. <laughs> yeah. Now, as of the date that we're recording this, and hopefully I'm going to drop this very soon because it, uh, because the, the Philom Anthropology Conference is coming up at the end of October. So I want to take, a, take this moment to say, folks, Buy your tickets. If you're in the UK, you can, there's still a seating available in person, but it's a virtual conference. So you can see it anywhere in the world. And, and, oh, uh, sweet. yeah, I think it's the 29th and the 30th, I, I believe, but it's definitely over that weekend. And I'll, I'll post the link in the, uh, in the show notes. Uh, but the reason that I was going with that is that mm -hmm. with the date is that right now there's a, a lot of internal, uh, d uh, issues in Iran. So it's probably not the best time to go. But oh, yeah. prior to what was going on recently, and, and who knows how long it was, it was lasting, Iran was actually making a concerted effort to uh, rebuild and refurbish and clean up its historic sites to open it up for sort of historical tourism. Because you don't yeah. normally think of Iran and tourism, I mean, you know, because of the sanctions and all that, but they were making yeah. an effort. So when it's safer, or more settled, or if you're a you know, non-plussed or not unafraid that it's, it's probably not a bad time to, 
uh, go check out those sites, and I'm sure that they are away from where the uh, trouble is. Anyway, enough of that. Yeah. That that sidetrack. So actually, the, the thing you're saying about the the sort of the the the, the cons. I don't want to call them comic cons or you know hobby cons or whatever, but you know yeah. I, I'm a little bit surprised that they're surprised that the paranormal plays so much into it because where, where do they think that elves and trolls and and where do they think that Shazam comes from and you know and uh, all, all, you know and the the Eternals and and all of these other characters Thor and Hercules I mean this is this you know so some of you, some of the favorite characters if they just you know gave it a, a second thought they would know that. You know, it almost all comes from, you know, histories. Even in the X Men universe, you have the characters Shaman and Sasquatch and stuff like that. So, yeah, exactly. No, even the, my favorite cartoon when I was a kid, Dragon Ball Z. I was always wondering why so much of the stories resonated with me, and then I found out that their entire cartoon was basically based on the the ancient legends of their region. Yeah. So I guess part of Asia. Yeah. So a lot of the, the ancient legends actually have made their way into science fiction. <laughs> yeah, Goku is based on the Monkey King. And I always get his name wrong, but it's like Shang yeah. Kung La, uh, who, who's basically a Hercules figure, except he's a monkey, but he's super strong, super powerful, very conceited, yeah. and sort of blunders around saving things, but sometimes causing a lot of damage in, in you know... And he's got like he's got like these little friends like Pigsy and then so, so you know that they're like his faithful companions. Um, they're just sort of like the moral compass of the show, more uh, of the show of the stories. But yeah, it, it, it all comes from something. So uh, we ain't that original. So yeah, so let's get back to so which First Nations um, peoples did you talk to? How did how did you get them to talk to you? I understand that it's it's sort of tough. Well, I've kind of been fortunate that in my family, uh, what is it, my step-uncle, he was actually the, the son of one of the big tribe leaders oh, right. in the region. So I got to talk to him a little bit about it. And when you go to the locals there, I think the, a lot of the original tribes have been displaced. I think when the, when the land agreements came, a lot of different tribes or people would move in and out. So I think, yeah, there's probably a mixed bag of like whose history is whose and who can tell you what? Because every time you hear one of the oral traditions, it's basically a slightly different version for each person that you talk to. So, especially if you go into different regions, I know the the sign that we saw when it was there. It was called the Bear Nation, but they also mentioned that the Bear Nation of people had already been displaced, and it's the the Anishabe, I believe, are the ones that are still some of the originals, and they live on the, the different islands in the area. I'm hoping to take a boat to visit some of the islands, but there's also a lot of like the different political stuff and stuff going on with that. So hopefully I'll be able to get permission to visit and speak to some more of the First Nations people firsthand. Because right now I'm basically just going on the monuments, like reading it from the stone, uh, the different websites, and finding local people that are still there is pretty sparse because everyone's been displaced. So tell us, what, what did you find out that, you know, what did the giants look like? What were they doing? What was their interaction with uh, us regular mere mortal peoples? Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.
Just because our parents are getting older doesn't mean they don't have lots to do. They might just need a little help. At Care.com, you'll find people who can take them to appointments and events, help pick up groceries and cook great meals. Whatever it is they like to do, the right caregiver can help. And since everyone at Care.com is background checked, you can be confident that you're getting support from someone you can trust. Find qualified local senior caregivers for your parents at Care.com. Yeah, it was wild. The, the story that's written on the statue underneath the, the giant here in Canada, it talks about how the giant, and they even describe the lineage, how his parents were also gods. And I think it reminds me of the Gilgamesh story, how it's like Gilgamesh was descended from the gods, or even like you get Hercules, wasn't he half god or something? Demigod, so but then he yeah. ascended to full godhood. Uh, he had apotheosis, uh, sounds like someone else I know. Yeah, so I was just blown away that that same tradition is here, that, that there's a strong belief that there is a lineage of gods that were much bigger, and eventually it came down to the point where the last god was the last, like, giant, and then after that, every ruler was much shorter, like, human stature. So even the lifespans, I should try to find out how old the giants were living there. If I had to guess, the legends will probably say the similar stories to Gilgamesh, where they could live for thousands of years compared to the regular people that could barely live a hundred. Yeah, I, I, I've i covered Gilgamesh and the Sumerian myth on, on this show way too many times. So, I, so for those of you who want to hear more about it, there's probably seven or eight different shows on it with seven or eight different sources. The only thing consistent is me and then you can mute me or fast forward my parts. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, a lot of that. And, and, you know, and, and that's sort of what the Nephilim were. They were the, those, the fallen angels, the, the sons of God found the daughters of Adam pleasing and they took whatever ones they want and their offspring were the Nephilim. And the, you know, the question is, what are the Nephilim? And that's what the conference at least tries to answer. At least you get perspectives from, from people in, uh, sort of uh, cross-expertise, uh, they won't necessarily agree with themselves. But I believe that, that you know, just like the demigods of Greek mythology and, and other stories, some came out to be heroes and some came out, you know, so you get a, a Theseus and a Achilles and a Hercules, you know, maybe flawed heroes, but heroes nonetheless. nonetheless. But you also get your Cyclops, uh, you know, and then, yeah. and, you know, and then, and, you know, other, you know, maybe more hideous monsters. And what's a Cyclops other than a one-eyed giant? So, um, so there, there you go. But like, it's funny that people, you know, won't think of those things as folklore, but they accept that, you know, that, that Goliath was a giant and had Goliath had like yeah. five or six brothers and, and Nimrod was a giant, uh, yeah. and, you know, and then part of the Raphaim and they'll, they'll tell, they'll believe in the Raphaim, but they don't know the Raphaim are just giants that survived the flood. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought up Nimrod too. That's one of my favorite stories because I was digging a little deeper into that one and I found out like how the tribes managed to breach the security and burn the tower down is one of their members was born with red hair. So once he was able to have that red hair and talk to the guards, they let him in thinking he was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as I, I think that also the giants had some problems with fertility and not treating their women so well and sometimes oh, yeah. eating them and they preferred the human. So I'm sure that as the, the giants were getting smaller or the Nephilim were getting smaller, 
and regular humans were probably getting bigger also, that it, it made it maybe easier if you were a particularly large human with red hair, like say you were like, I don't know, like say you were like Shaquille O'Neal height. Uh, yeah. you know, right? you, maybe you could sneak among them and you were seven two seven three, and maybe the average giant at that point was seven seven. Yeah, it's like, eh, let the run through. Uh, yeah. but, but one of us. Uh, so, you know. Maybe. Well, there is some. There is some more stuff on this statue that ties into other giant legends. Like, if anyone's heard the story about Turtle Island, how basically North America is supposed to be in the shape of a giant turtle, almost like it was like a spirit of a giant turtle. And then uh, the statue talks about how the the god ended up scooping up some of the land off of Turtle Island and just throwing it into the lakes. He was able to create all the different islands. So... There is like 30,000 islands, I think, and that's pretty wow. much the only explanation they have of why there would be so many islands there. And yeah, and then the other part of that too is that the Turtle Island legend also talks about uh, a giant's head. I think this was a story from Jacob. If anyone wants to check out his YouTube channel, he shares it. I forget his last name. I don't think I could pronounce it if I could. But anyways, that, that giant that was tied to the turtle of... T- uh, the tail of Turtle Island turned out to be an elephant's head. So it was really wild that in like America, they have a story that involved an elephant being tied to a turtle. And then that same legend of the turtle and uh, the elephant also is found in the, the Hindu text. And I think other parts of the world. So this turtle, it almost makes me wonder if the turtle and the giant were really part of like another race of giants in like another realm of existence. So not only did they have giant humans, but they also had giant animals of all types. Oh, I like that. Uh, And we're sure it was an elephant, not a mastodon or a woolly mammoth. Yeah, it could be. Because the legend says that it was a giant and no one really knew what type of giant. It wasn't really until modern times that we could zoom out and look to see what the shape actually looks like. And dang, does it ever look just like an elephant's head? I think I'll put a picture of it on my website when, when we're finished the interview. I just made a new section for Giants for today. <laughs> oh, good. Well, wow. Well, this is probably a good time. Why don't you tell folks what your website is? Uh, it's Leland, or what is it, JudsonWeebly.com. It's just a free website. And then I do got the, the other stuff on Facebook. If you look up Leland Judson, I've got my own group for that too, or a Facebook page. Now, and I do share all my stuff with Adept Initiates as well. I've been doing some writing for them for quite a few years now. Uh, well, let me spell it for the, because it's Leland is L-E-L-A-N-D and Judson is J-U-D-S-Y-N. So, yeah, that's correct. Okay. So make sure they have it right because you know, they might be typing in S-O-N or something else. Um, oh, yeah. And the other thing, too, is I also do a lot of video game podcasting under the same name. So if you come across it, just make sure you look for the playlist that has ancient mystery stuff rather than the video games. <laughs> yeah, and this is a podcast, but uh, but I'm also talking to, well, I guess I'll go with Leland now, even though I said I'm going to use Leyland. Um, yeah, Leyland's cool, too. <laughs> and I'm seeing his studio, and, and behind him, there's a ample collection of what I assume are games and there's, there's scores yeah. of them, scores of, of games there. Uh, well, to tie video games back to the, the ancient mystery and giants, when I was at the convention, like Fan Expo, I actually had video game studio producers come up to me and ask if I could work for them to put some of the ancient stuff into the lore of their games. So I was pretty blown away that even video games is trying to jump onto the ancient mystery bandwagon too. <laughs> they need new material, and sometimes the old material is the new material. 
Yeah, no kidding. You know, there's only so many worlds of war that, that you can do without uh, put, putting throwing something else into it. Uh, and there is definitely a market for that. Uh, I mean, part of it is the reason for the show. Um, yeah. All right, well, so do we know anything about the language or the linguistic groups of the giants, or is it something completely unhuman? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, I, I think you brought it up before that the First Nations people in the area usually had the oral traditions, so they didn't have the, the writing system as much to, to try to compare it to. But the one thing I noticed was some of the words I was getting from the islands, like Manitoulin Island, it's basically Manitou Island, which would translate to Spirit Island. And then my old Persian friends, or friends from uh, Persia, happened to notice that that's the same word that they have for spirit, except they call it Manu rather than Manitou. So it is almost like the same word, which almost could be more evidence that there's been transatlantic trade a long time before. Oh, and even the locals that, that called, how did you pronounce it, Magog? or I said Magog, but I'm not sure if I yeah, said it correctly. Uh, so it turns out the First Nations translation for that turned out to be, what was it, someone who traveled over a great expanse of water or something similar to that. So it was almost like the, their town that was one of the port cities was named after people that came from apparently could be across the ocean. I think probably we should tell, like, who, what is Magog and, and Gog? Yeah, that's the, the story. I think that dates back to, what is it, Europe with the, wasn't it a red-haired cannibalistic giant story? I thought so, yes. Yeah. I, so it's a little bit spooky, but I can't not say it, even though. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, we're, yeah. this is the Garden of Doom, so spooky. <laughs> you know, spook, spooky is our version of rated G. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, because I know a lot of these show topics are a little bit, a little hard to listen to if you're eating dinner. That's for sure. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's hard to get scary when you're talking and we don't have any creepy music on it or anything like that. Yeah, this was it's it's more for information than than storytelling. Though I'm certainly willing to have a excellent storyteller come on and, and try to scare the the Jesus out of uh, you know the, the listeners and me. I, I I would like to be scared. Uh, horror movies just don't do it for me anymore. At least most of them don't. Um, so yeah, I, I actually read a, a book on King Og, but it's, uh, you know, I, it's mostly fictionalized. Or, you know, yeah. Who knows what it's adapted by. But there was a King Og in, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, Western Jordan, um, who, oh. who, who was, it was Og of Bashan and, and in the Bible, uh, you know, and was, I think they said the last giant who apparently Moses killed at, at, at some point. I'm not exactly sure when or how uh, it was. Um, I, I imagine it would have had to have been in the Sinai because Moses never crossed the, you know, to get into the land of uh, Israel. So, um, yeah. So I guess the, the giants must have been part of the uh, Canaanites that were, you know, I guess, I guess the yeah. war sometimes reached the shores of the Sinai. I'm not, I'm not really sure about that, but uh well, yeah, because he was born in Egypt, so it would have had to have been either in Egypt or the Sinai. Anyway, uh, enough mm -hmm. about my ruminations. Let's let's stick to the giants of North America and, and Canada. Yeah. Um, are what are some of the similarities and what are some of the distinctions between the different uh, stories or types of giants that you've encountered in your studies? 
Well, another one that this statue told the story about that was very similar is that sometimes we hear of giants not all dying, but some of them actually went to like a sort of like a hypnosis state or they went to sleep for a very long time. So the, the statue talks about how the giant, after he had that big fight with his girlfriend and created all the islands, he either died on the giant's tomb island or he went there to sleep. So that's one of the things I was wondering is like, boy, wouldn't it be wild if some explorers actually went and did an expedition there one day and searched for the remains of the tomb to find out if he's actually asleep or dead or maybe that there's no evidence whatsoever. And from what I gathered, the island, like Giant's Tomb Island, was uninhabited. But last I was just checking on the satellite. It looks like some cottages have been built there now. So I don't know if sad or for the better, but... Hopefully I'll be able to get a ride next trip to actually see the island in person. Like we saw it from the shore. We traveled to one of the closest parks so that you could see it from across the water. And was my mind ever blown? Like I was anticipating that the the island was going to be pretty much ground down because of the Ice Age story. It talks about how everything got crushed. But when you look at the island, it almost looks like there's a pyramid in the center of it buried beneath the trees. Hmm. Or it could be just a large mountain or a big hill, but I haven't actually been able to talk to any locals that have walked on the inner parts of the island. Most people just stuck to the shore because it had really nice beaches and great fishing, I heard. So that's one of the other ties. If this uh, giant culture happens to be like using pyramids, like that would be pretty mind-blowing to find a pyramid in the Great Lakes. I know it's a big claim, but... Just by looking at it from like my own eyes, I was shocked how big of a hill it was on the island. That's good. A lot of times, mountains are indicative of tombs as well. Which uh, yeah. which body of water is this island on? Uh, this would be Lake Huron, and it's uh, like how to describe it. There's a lot of different legends in Lake Huron, like uh, Dreamers Rock is in that region. The the entire th- the Great Lakes region, if you spin it on its side, it's actually the same shape as the Thunderbird as well. And that's why they talk about uh, how Sault Ste. Marie apparently has the nicest and friendliest people in the world. And it dates back to how that's the heart of the Thunderbird. And anyone born in that region takes a bit of that spirit into their own personality. And it was funny, too. My grandma was born there, and she was one of the nicest people. <laughs> I only heard her get mad once or twice in her whole life. <laughs> that's great. Um have you traveled into the more Western uh, regions of Canada as well? No, not yet. Thankfully, the, ever since the, the world events have been over, they started to allow cheaper flights. And I can really take a, a plane from where I live near Waterloo all the way to the Vancouver region for about 40 bucks. And it used to be hundreds of dollars to go. So I've had uh, people that want me to come and visit the, the medicine wheel that they have on the like a giant Stonehenge type thing in the shape of a medicine wheel. So I really want to go and check that out. And I bet you there's more legends of giants there. The only other giant on the same Great Lake region that I heard is the Sleeping Giant in Thunder Bay. There's also another legend of that. So that's on my to-do list to visit next. So it's really kind of wild, that entire region and the Great Lakes, so much lore and history and hardly any of it's been heard before. Not to, to get rid of like all the, the natives currency so hopefully if anyone is into this and they want to pay back maybe they could visit the area and buy some of the local stuff to to help support the people not that they lost all their history for nothing yes for sure hey can can you tell me what the canadian anubis amulet is 
Yeah, it was actually a, a, an amulet that I started researching back, I think, around 2017-ish, maybe a little bit before. And what happened was, is my family had lived in Canada, uh, actually my dad's side of the family since, I think, the 1700s, so we go way back into Canada. And what my grandfather ended up doing was buying an abandoned farmhouse as his first like major farm purchase growing up. And the farmhouse was already like in ruins, like uh, about a hundred years old, I guess, when he was about to move into it. So he had to rebuild the whole thing from scratch. And in the process, he ended up reincorporating some of the things that were already in the house that he didn't have to get rid of. And one of those happened to be the fire pit, like uh, indoors in Canada, you're definitely going to need a lot of fires in the winter. So what happened was, is my aunt ended up finding when she was a kid, she crawled into the, the fireplace and found an amulet and it got thrown into her toy box in the house for, I guess, about 50 years or so. And then uh, no one really thought anything of it. My aunt was asking me to try looking it up to see if I could find a match for the amulet. And it turned out it looked very similar to Anubis. And I thought that was kind of weird to think that Anubis would have any connection to North America. Then I found out that the South Americans, they actually had their own version of Anubis. I think he was called Zotl. And he also was like a black dog that guided people in the afterlife. So then I started to realize that, hey, it's not just Anubis, that there is other black dog god traditions, even in America. Mm -hmm. So what I did with that is I ended up thinking, oh, it just looks like Anubis. I should really get some testing on it to make sure. So I brought it to Toronto and got like the most advanced 3D printing lab in the province to take a look at it and see if they could duplicate it. So what they did is they tested the metal to see what type it was. And they said that it's mind blowing to them that it appears to be made out of a stainless steel, similar to the Damascus sword steel, where it's like way too old to be rust proof, yet it still is. So they were wondering about that. And then they also commented on the paint. They said that the paint, whatever that was used on the amulet, was extremely durable and much more sticky than they've ever encountered. They say if they had to paint something on a similar fashion, they would even have a hard time doing it today without it chipping off, being in like a fireplace for 50 years. So I looked a lot into that amulet and was hoping to get, what is it, uh, the test that they do on organic matter to see how old it is. I forget what the name is that one is, biocarbon dating or something. But anyway, so the university offered to do that test for me on the paint. The only problem is they need to cut a lot of the paint off in order to do a test. Mm. So I've kind of put that off as like a last resort to prove how old the amulet really is because I don't want to be responsible for destroying it. This is a family heirloom? No, it's actually just put in our toy box for years and only my aunt found it suspicious. For some reason, my aunt is like the only other person in my family who's into the paranormal, where every, everyone else in my family is very academic and skeptical of anything paranormal. So it did create a bit of a bond between me and my aunt that we never had before. She believed that the amulet was actually responsible for different hauntings, because after she took it to her house, when she grew up and became an adult, they started to have really strange hauntings happening in their house. So she was actually looking to get rid of the amulet when I started researching it. Well, have you had any hauntings? Um, the only thing that changed after I got the amulet and started like looking at it in person was my dreams did change. I noticed I started to have more vivid nightmares than ever before, and ones that involved demonic entities. 
And before, I'd never dreamed of demons before. So that was a little bit weird. How do you know they're demons? What's that, sir? How do you know they're demons? Well, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, I never really knew anything about demons my whole life until I started to have those dreams. And it was like a, a very vivid but only, like, horrific feeling. Normally, if you see, like, something scary in a dream... It just sort of wakes you up right away. Mm-hmm. But when I have would have a demonic dream, it would like literally shake me to my core. Like every hair on my body would stand on end and I would get like goosebumps and almost like spooked like a cat. So I started to notice the difference between normal nightmares and ones that actually involve demons. Oh yeah, and that was the other thing. I had a, a guest on the my podcast who was at Art Olivia. And I didn't really know too much about Art's work. And I knew that he was into ley lines. And then night before I had him on the show, all of a sudden I got a horrific demonic dream again. I was like, why am I getting this? And then when I talked to him the next day, almost his entire show topic was about human sacrifice and that sort of stuff. So I was like, holy cow. It's like demons can almost warn you if something like that is going to occur. Maybe they're not demons. Maybe they are trying to warn you. Uh, yeah, it's just it's a scary the only topic. other time too is when I met Mike Tyson in person. I don't know if anyone's ever met Mike Tyson, no. <laughs> but I got to stand next to him at a convention, mm-hmm. and I got spooked like that again, where all of a sudden every hair on my body just stood up, and I got goosebumps. Couldn't put a finger on what caused it until I started to hear podcasts with Mike Tyson. He talks about that he believes he has regular contact with the God of War or another demon. So I don't know if that's really true, that he has some sort of demonic possession going on, but if I had to bet on it, there's something to that. I don't think Mike Tyson is making it up. Well, I'm not going to argue with Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> that, 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 I think, is a, objectively a good idea, because I, I saw some uh, footage of him training recently. And yeah, he, he's, he's, he looks supernatural, right? Like, how is he that old and he's still that fast, right? It's something weird about it, like really weird. Oh, and the only other demonic thing I had, I think it might have been that same convention, is I got to stand next to Buzz Aldrin. Oh, and for some cool. reason, he has that same aura to him, where I can't go anywhere near him with all my hair standing on end and goosebumps. And I love Buzz Aldrin, so I had no idea why I was getting spooked by him. But then I started to realize that every time I'm getting spooked, it almost seems to have a demonic connection to it. So I don't know. I never believed in demons before, and I kind of wish I still didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, going back to the giants and the giant stars, is, have you found any um, overlap between where you've learned about the giants and heard about the giant stories and UFO-type sightings and Bigfoot-type encounters? And do you think there's any relationship between any of those things? Well, it always goes back to the old Da Vinci sayings. Well, how does it go to paraphrase it? You'll learn how to see when you see that all things connect. And I always thought that was kind of weird, but then, yeah, a lot of these things I'm starting to notice connect, like even the ley line research in, G- in Giants. Like, if you take the world's most, like, prolific ley lines, like, say, uh, St. Michael's Access, that's probably one of the oldest ley lines that everyone thinks connects to, like, a bunch of things like Stonehenge, the September 11th attack sites. It even connects to the spots in Mexico City where they were throwing the virgins into volcanoes and sort of thing. So then I started to realize that a lot of these giants and the ancient mystery stories all tend to connect back to one of these weird ley lines. And it happens to be like the actual split in the earth crust, like the the major tectonic plate lines. So I don't think it's any coincidence that that line continues on and it goes over Mount Hermon where the, the 
angels descended to the earth, probably the giants. Um, Mount Olympus, it also connects to, so another one with the giants. And a lot of the stories, like the Alpha to Omega legend, talk about how the giants were descending to the earth and using a special, like, sacrifice to do it. I know a lot of people talk about aliens coming to the earth in spaceships, but I'm thinking that these giants actually were using a different type of technology to get to the earth, and it connects more to, like, the ley line energy rather than nuts and bolts spacecraft. So you're talking like sort of Stargate portal type of technology? Yeah, that's what I'm starting to wonder now. Like, I'm thinking either Stargates, portals, or who knows, maybe even the, the spirits can transfer and then demonic possession. It's hard to say. But then we actually have the physical giants there. So that's what makes you wonder, how did their bodies get here if it was just something like that? So it could be the Stargates. Now, I heard Amazon is working on the new Stargate show, so I'm, I'm hoping that comes out soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, t- tell me a little bit about Bigfoots or Sasquatches. To, uh, what, what kind of uh, information did oh, you yeah. gather? Yeah. But, yeah, when I was up there, it wasn't just stories about gold. It wasn't just stories about, like, giants, but there was even official accounts with miners that had been doing exploration in the region. So the, the story goes, I think uh, Prescott was one of the researchers who covered it. I forget his first name. But he did a story with the miners. And what happened was, was a crew of miners went way out on like ATVs into the middle of nowhere where there's like no roads, no trails, and they're just exploring for different minerals, see if they can find some more gold. And as the team split up, some of the team members went alone and others went with a group. So what happened was, is one of the miners that went alone, he started to yell because uh, rocks kept getting thrown by his head. So he was like, hey guys, can you stop throwing the rocks at me? This isn't funny. And then when he looked over to see where the crew was, they were way on the opposite side of where the rocks were coming from. So he got spooked and looked over to see who had thrown the rocks. And that's when he saw Bigfoot. And obviously his whole crew and all the other miners made fun of him. But he actually quit his job. So he said he would never go back into the woods again, that he was that afraid of a, a Bigfoot throwing something at him. And what and was the description? If anyone doesn't know the employment situation up there, oh. if you don't work in the mines, you basically work nowhere. So he was like giving away his entire career to not go back. What was the physical description of, of the Bigfoot? I'd have to re- or read it again. Oh, yeah, it was by Todd Prescott. He covered it, and it's called the, the Matheson Bigfoot Encounter. From what I gather, I think he, all he made was it was like a hairy creature that was standing upright, and it was very large, like bigger than a person. And it kept throwing rocks, but it would always throw rocks just past his head. I think he mentioned that the rocks could have easily hit him if they wanted to, but it was more like a warning to just get out of there. Maybe a giant. Yeah. Who knows, the, the connection between Bigfoot and Giants makes me wonder, because you find all of that in that same area. Uh, I wonder if it's a reddish hair. Yeah, we'll have to find out, yeah, what color the hair was. If I had to guess, it was brown, but wouldn't it be shocking, I guess, if it was red, too? Yeah, well, there's also adaptation to your environment, so maybe a little bit calico, who knows. Uh, anyway, it's, it's it's always fun to ponder these things, but, uh, you know, I, I you know Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, the year in. The, the, the monkey, the ape man, you know, there's there's sort of a, a giant man legend pretty much everywhere as well. And different colors. Yeah. I mean, the Yeti and the Yiren are both white because they're in the snow-capped mountain. So, you know, why, yeah. 
you know, just like the, the puma is a different, you know, color than the leopard. That's a different color than the tiger because of their environment. So, uh, you know, Oh yeah. I, I should think. mention it too, that, you know, Les Stroud, uh, the guy from the survivor man show quite a few years ago. Oh yeah. I remember that show. Sure. Yeah. His main place that he liked to film a lot of his episodes was in that general area of Northern Ontario. And he got really into the Bigfoot research too. A lot of people made fun of him for it, but I think he's convinced that Bigfoots are real too. Yeah, that 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 was that was a wild show. I remember that show was out around the same time the Bear Grylls was doing like his first yeah. show, like Bear Grylls versus. I think they do it now, but like he like Bear Grylls would go out and he it would be like I don't know. He would try to go from point A to B. Survivor man, he would go somewhere and try to last somewhere for seven days and uh, yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was sort of bleak. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but it was depressing to be trapped in the woods. <laughs> yeah, he kept going, but you know, obviously he knew how to go. It's like, so it was sort of like Ron Swanson without the, uh, without the, uh, humorous, uh, bits and sidekicks. Um, yeah. so anyway, all right. Um, Tell us uh, wh- where people can find you about your podcasts. Uh, we already covered the website, but you can certainly repeat it again. Yeah, the website is uh, Judson Weebly. So J-U-D-S-Y-N, I think dot Weebly. I'll have to check it out again. But if you just type in Leland Judson into YouTube, you might get flooded with video game stuff. But once you get to my channel, just make sure you change it to the, the playlist for either Ancient Mystery or travel vlogs. I definitely got a couple episodes in that now. And I do have a whole bunch more that I filmed all summer long, and I just haven't finished editing it yet. So hopefully over this winter, we're supposed to have a pretty intense winter. I'll try to get all the travel vlogs done so people can see more of the region and what it looks like. Okay, very cool. And and you have a podcast as well? Yeah, it's uh, The Magi Show. I think uh, I haven't really done too many episodes recently. The last one I did was with that other guest that I just mentioned uh, about the human sacrifice traditions. The biggest one I think we had was, oh yeah, Billy Carson. We got Billy Carson on to talk about the the space stuff. I think that episode got over 50,000 views, so definitely my most popular podcast to date. <laughs> yeah, how did you get Billy Carson on your show? Yeah, I was so lucky. I was following the, the work of, uh, of the late, great Gerald Clark. So I kept putting comments in all Gerald Clark's videos, and uh, he was doing some work with Billy Carson. And I think after reading a few of my comments, he got back to me, and I was lucky enough to get him on the show. That's great. Yeah, yeah big shout-out to him, because my channel didn't make it over a 1,000 subs until I had him on, so I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I mean, Billy Carson is just... Uh, the, the way he can explain things that take me paragraphs, he can do it in one sentence and and do it better it's it's amazing i'm very jealous of that kind of wordsmithing and it's just very natural he doesn't have to look at notes or anything so i've tried yeah. to make contact with him a couple times since successfully so mr carson if you're listening out there i'm a fan yeah. come on the come on the show please uh, yeah. or if anyone out there has a connection to him uh, that, that would be awesome uh the garden of doom uh, we will welcome you with our most uh donations uh, whatever that means. Anyway, uh, I thank you so much for your insights and definitely no keep, keep in touch with your adventures and your discoveries. And if you have anything major to report, uh, you know, give me a buzz and uh, we'll talk again. But I really appreciate you coming into the Garden of Doom and sharing your adventures on uh, the Great Lakes, uh, north of our border, but part of your border. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, what's going on in Canada. And for those of you in the beginning of the show who heard me say South America, sorry, but the show title doesn't really talk about South America. The show notes won't really talk about South America. And most of you who know me for a while know that I live with La Sicaria and Juventud Sicario. So, uh, you know, I've got uh, this this household is two thirds South American. So, uh, you oh, know, nice. yeah, so I always have uh, South America sort of on my brain. So, you know, uh, yeah, anything south of uh, Canada, South America to me at this point. So, <laughs> okay. Thanks again for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Big shout out to Heather Arnold for sharing her stuff about the giants in uh, Caicos Islands there. Yes. Hope to hear that episode you did with her soon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, probably it. watch it right now. <laughs> yeah. Ch- check it out. It's listening so you can drive or while you're working out or whatever. Um, and she'll be on again. She was going to be on this month, but we moved it into January, but uh, she'll be on again. And uh, she's also part of the Nephilim Anthropology Conference. So I think I'll do one last plug for the NACON Conference, Nephilim Anthropology Sweet. Conference. And you can uh, find uh, tickets at NAC, uh, capital NAC, O-N uh, dot Eventbrite, which is one word, but bright is B-R-I-T-E dot U-K dot C-O. And virtual tickets are available because virtual is basically unlimited until the broadband breaks. Um, nice. So check that out. Thank you again, Leyland. I'm going to definitely do Leyland because I think that sounds cool. Awesome. And appreciate <laughs> you being on here. And folks, you know, check out his stuff and give us a rate, review, share, uh, refer to your friends. And we will hear you next time in the Garden Stay of Doom. With me. I'm waking up late, drinking all my fears away. I with you. Come down. I'll carry all the weight while we try to fix this. We'll build something new. But you ripped my walls down faster than I knew how. Build them up again. Cause we're all giants trying to answer questions. Why do we? so small when we're not at all but even giants need someone to land on when they fall Just when they fall I can't believe the shadows that we cast could have made us feel like we're smaller than our dreams One of these days we'll forget about the things that uh, people think But you rip my walls down faster than I knew how To build them up again Cause we're all giants trying to answer questions Why do we feel so small?
giants trying to answer questions. Why do we feel so small when we're not at all? The pandemic has been hard on all of us, especially our kids. New studies show that two decades of advancement in math scores for kids in the United States have been wiped out by the pandemic. You need to do all you can to make sure your child doesn't fall behind. Here's the good news. Your child can become confident in their foundational math skills in just 30 days guaranteed with Hooked on Math. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Math will unlock math mystery for your child in just 30 days guaranteed. And right now you can get started for just $1. Text the word MATH to 323232 right now. Developed by Hooked on Phonics, the experts in childhood reading, Hooked on Math is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from your home and in less than 20 minutes a day. Text MATH to 323232 right now and give your child confidence in math in just 30 days guaranteed. Text MATH to 323232 to get started for just $1. Text MATH to 323232. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, stop, stop. The pandemic has been hard on all of us, especially our kids. New studies show that two decades of advancement in math scores for kids in the United States have been wiped out by the pandemic. You need to do all you can to make sure your child doesn't fall behind. Here's the good news. Your child can become confident in their foundational math skills in just 30 days guaranteed with Hooked on Math. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Math will unlock math mystery for your child in just 30 days guaranteed. And right now you can get started for just $1. Text the word MATH to 323232 right now. Developed by Hooked on Phonics, the experts in childhood reading, Hooked on Math is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from your home and in less than 20 minutes a day. Text MATH to 323232 right now and give your child confidence in math in just 30 days guaranteed. Text MATH to 323232 to get started for just $1. Text MATH to 323232.